Christina Bryan Fitzgibbons, a genetic and family investigator. And I'm Jody Klugman Rabb, a licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed professional clinical counselor. Welcome to Sex, Lies, and the Truth. Tamara often felt she didn't fit in with her family, which looked a lot different than most since she was raised by her grandparents. A DNA test proved why she felt different and triggered a series of discoveries that changed her life both for the best and the worst. Tamara showed us what resilience in the face of adversity looks like and relies on a positive attitude to cope with her MPE discovery. My name is Tamara Altizer, and I found out almost two years ago um, through a, an online DNA test with Ancestry. I was strangely enough in the middle of waiting for some test results to find out if I had breast cancer. This shows up in the middle of this waiting period because I was scheduled to go for a biopsy two weeks after I got this information. And so, you know, I'm in shock. My first thought is something is not right here. And, you know, maybe Ancestry messed something up. Maybe they didn't get the information right. This just doesn't make sense. I proceeded to try and contact a couple of family members. Many MPE feel they've missed something, going so far as to wonder if the DNA test is incorrect, or maybe the company mixed up the results with someone else's. Many of the family feel that way too, honestly. Without anyone to ask about it, Tamara was left in confusion, trying to get her brain to make sense of this alongside a cancer biopsy and family who expressed lots of skepticism. And so finally I got the guts up to ask my mom's sister, who said the same thing, that she didn't think those DNA tests were legitimate and that, you know, that information wasn't correct and all that. So probed further and she finally said, if there is anybody in this family that would know the answer to your question, it would be your Aunt Gail, basically. She was divorced from my uncle, but, you know, she was really close friends with my mom. Well, I was seeing that my, the guy that I thought was my father, his sister had taken the Ancestry DNA test several years ago, and her husband had taken it too, and they weren't on my matches. The guy that I thought was my father, his parents adopted me when my mom died. So I always thought they were my grandparents, but they were my mom and dad legally too. My sister is my dad's, the guy that I thought was my father is his sister. And so technically my matches should have said that she was my aunt. The match list on the DNA sites is the place doubt dies. Names never before seen reveal the truth alongside the absence of names expected. Once you figure out the names listed at the top are the closest genetic matches, denial begins to give way to reality. When Tamara didn't see her aunt where she expected, she bolstered her courage. Then I, I contacted her right away and I said, hey, did you not make your like profile public or whatever? She said, no, I did. I've had other people contact me. Uh, you know, saying we're related, this, that, and the other thing. She said, you should be able to see it. And so I'm like, nope, can't see it. Not there. Something, something, <laughs> something's up. I don't know what's up, but 
I got to get to the bottom of it. And so that was the immediate thing that, that gave me the clue that I'm not related to anybody on my dad's side of the family. So what's up with that? And she didn't have an answer. She just as confused as I was. My aunt Carol, my mom's sister had referred me to aunt Gail. I sent her a message on messenger because didn't have a phone number for it at the time. And her and my uncle had been divorced for many years. So I just sent her a message. Didn't hear back from her for a few minutes. And I thought, well, maybe she's just busy. I'll, you know, check back later. Aunt Gail, it turns out, did have the information Tamara was hoping for. And it didn't make the adjustment process any easier. Unbeknownst to me, in the meantime, she had called my Aunt Carol to say, is it okay for me to tell her what I know? She's like, well, she has a right to know. It's her her history. It's her, her life. She has a right to know. And so she proceeds to text me back and lets me know that my mom was pregnant with me when she met the man that I thought was my father. Like two or three months pregnant, maybe more. I'm just kind of staring at this text message like, I can't believe that I'm reading this. Like, I'm in shock. I had to read it again. Just that's like, this can't be real. I just knew ancestry had screwed something up. So this can't be happening. And it took me a while. I kept asking questions and most of my questions she couldn't answer. Nobody could answer. You know, they knew the name of a man that she was dating right before she they found out she was pregnant with me and they believed he was my father. So I just started doing some digging into the matches that I did have just to try and see, put some messages out there to see if anybody could basically say, oh, yeah, we knew your father, this, that and the other thing. And I got a few hits, maybe three or four hits within the first month, but most of them had heard of my father or my grandmother, but they did not know what the connection was between me and them. So they weren't able to really, you know, help me understand a little further to know more about my father. I kept digging, I kept digging, and this one lady reached out. She said, I'll help you. So she ended up you know, getting a little bit of information from me and started searching immediately on Ancestry. With some help now, the information starts coming in faster. Much of it came late at night when Tamara was trying to fall asleep, but wrestling with whether or not to look at the pings coming from her search angel. If she looked at it, she knew she would be up all night. When she finally looked, what she found was astonishing. So I get up the next morning and I wait a little while because I'm nervous about what what she's found. I finally sit down, look at it, and the very first thing that she found was an obituary for my grandmother, who had died in 2012. Then the next, she's like, look at this, and then look at this. And the next, second thing was findagrave.com. She had found my father's headstone. And he, that particular day was June 25th, and he died June 25th of 2016. This is four years to the day that he passed away that I found out this information. You know, it just really dashed a lot of hopes for me because I never had a relationship growing up with the man that I had been told was my father. And I really wanted to get to know my father. And so 
that was really hard for me because, you know, I had hoped and prayed that one day I'd get to meet him. And then I found out that he's gone and he's been gone four years now. And I find out that his wife had passed away that January from COVID. I'm like, not only is he gone, but she's gone. And now I can't ask her any questions. I'm a big fan of synchronicity. The concept Carl Jung came up with to explain the relationship between seemingly unrelated events. And the MPE phenomenon is full of it. Tamara had been so close to her biological father many times and never knew it. The next month, I had gone to visit some family and my sister had agreed to take me because my dad and all of his family back several generations uh, lived in Tennessee. And we lived in Virginia and I've lived in Virginia all my life. And, you know, we used to go on Tennessee uh, on to Tennessee on vacation for Pete's sake. And I thought all this time, here I am down here on vacation and I drive right past the place where my dad lives. And that was kind of sad too, because I was so close yet so far. And my father-in-law fished at a lake that was nearby where my dad lived. And, you know, me and my husband had gone out there before with them on the lake. And I thought, here we are right on this same lake that my dad had fished at. And what are the chances that I was out there sometime? Maybe my dad was right there next to me and I never even knew it. You know, this trip to Tennessee that we took, I kind of did the similar thing that Jody's mentioned doing when she met her father. My sister's kind of more bold about this stuff than me. And I knew when she said that, you know, she'd agree to go down there with me and, and go through all of this. I knew we would probably be knocking on some doors. <laughs> my dad had three half siblings and the very first door that we knocked on was his brother, his half brother. And I had a photo of my mom and dad on my phone. The only photo that was ever taken of them together. And I showed him, I said, is this your brother? He said, yep, that's him. <laughs> it's like, okay. Wow. I do have the right person. He had uh, two half sisters. One was had already recently passed away. The other sister, we knocked on her door too, but so far she has yet to make the connection. She, I've tried to reach out to her multiple times and she's not responded. So the brother has continued to stay in touch and respond, making phone calls, occasionally send a text message or something like that. But he has been very helpful in, you know, just helping me try to find out more about my father and telling me stories about growing up with my dad and how he was such a, a good guy and he was so helpful to others. And, you know, he said he would have loved you. And I thought, you know, to hear somebody say that, even though they don't know me that well, it meant a lot to me because he knew my father and he knew what my father would have said. For people who will not have the chance to meet biological parents, the only thing left to learn is from the stories of the people who knew them. You get to know those parents through the family stories that you missed and piece together a sense of who you are because of those stories. The MPE that can't get information, whether you meet a person in person or not, fare worse in adjusting to the identity crisis. 
there seems to be a holy trinity in adjusting well to an MPE discovery, consisting of first, knowing the names of family, second, being able to meet them, and lastly, having family information. Found out that my dad had a stepdaughter, and I've been in touch with her, and we have connected. The very first day that we got in contact, she spent probably two hours on the phone just talking to me and telling me about my dad. And, you know, that was, that was awesome. You know, it really was. I'd found out when I was in Tennessee, we had gone to this little white house that my sister kept saying she thought we were supposed to go to. So we pull up and this lady is out on the front porch and she puts us in touch with a Facebook group. And it's all about the area where my dad lived at. And I put the picture of my dad and mom on the face on the Facebook page there and said, does anybody recognize him? And all of a sudden people just start chiming in to my, you know, my message saying, oh yeah, I knew him, but I didn't know that was his name. <laughs> like, well, wow, this is amazing. And it just all, everybody coming out of the woodwork, basically, to just tell me about my dad. And that was how I found out about my stepsister and some of her cousins, because they reached out to me and told me that they leave my father and, and shared stories and pictures and, and that sort of stuff. It's hard to say when this discovery really sinks in, when you're okay with it, and when you feel normal. That's different for everyone, but along the way, most MPEs share they feel a surrealism in trying to distinguish between the fathers or mothers when talking about it with others, or reclassifying memories he lived through as if no longer accurate or real. I'm still finding that through this process that my mind doesn't not want to accept what's happened because I go back and forth on a regular basis trying to get my brain, you know, my brain will think about the man that I thought was my dad before. And then I'll have to remind myself, oh, that part's not true now. This part over here is true. As a younger child, my pseudo father, you know, he didn't have a strong relationship with me, but he at least would show up on special occasions and he would bring lots of nice, expensive gifts, Christmas time, birthdays, that sort of thing. Um, so at least I felt like that there was some, some history there, some connection back to something that I knew that was familiar. My biological father, then I go back to, I never even knew him. So I have no connection to him, if that makes sense. It's something I'm still having to battle with because I constantly, you know, get that mental thing that comes up and it's like, oh yeah, no, that he, he's not my dad anymore. This man is my dad. It's just, it's been a battle this whole entire time. Mental health is part of the conversation in larger society thanks to the pandemic and is immediately felt by MPE as a threat to health and stability. Grief and trauma responses are common and exacerbate what's already going on for people before these discoveries. And it's been almost two years since I found out about it. So I don't know how long this is going to go on. I feel like 
I have PTSD in a, in a number of areas at this point because my mother was shot and killed by my pseudo father when I was 18 months old. So it's just a whole mixed up situation. My adopted parents, my, I used to think were my grandparents. As far as having a father that was really great to me, he was, but you know, he was a lot older. He died when I was 16. So I still feel like I lost yet another father figure in my life through losing him. And so it, you know, it's I feel like I've had like four fathers at this point. My, my mom, grandmother, mom remarried the year after I got married. And so he became my stepfather. No wonder my brain's confused <laughs> at this point. It just, it feels like just when I get used to the idea of, you know, one parent, that they, they die. And then my stepfather died in 2015. So, yeah, I mean, they're all gone now, basically, except for the pseudo dad. But he might as well be because he has no, you know, he doesn't want to have any connection with me. So that's just kind of where I'm at now. So it's been very painful for me trying to adjust to just the fact that I'll never get to know my dad in this life. That's been hard for me to accept and something that I've grieved over because I feel like even though he, you know, he's been gone since 2014, to me, it's like he just died. I found out less than a year ago that he passed away. So to me, it's like all this just happened. Tamara's grief process was complicated because of earlier experiences she hadn't fully resolved either, like her mom's death, that she wasn't told about right away when a child. With this DNA discovery, it was like previous grief returned in a flood. It turns out her grandparents still had a secret to share. Then I found out when I was 14 that my mom had a child when she was in high school who was two years older than me, so I had a half-brother out I feel like my life is a lifetime movie sometimes. Like, it's just, it's, it's, you can't make up this stuff. Since this whole DNA thing has happened, my, my, my new motto in life now is truth is stranger than fiction. Because you can't make this stuff up. I mean, you just can't. Well, you know what? I'm 51 and I have lived through all of this. Stuff that probably would have killed some people. Just the fact that I've made it this far, it's like, I might as well laugh about it because it's either laugh or cry. And I've done enough of, of the bladder. So <laughs> just out of where I'm at now. And, 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 you know, and I still have my days where I cry about it because life's not fair, but, you know, it is what it is. And I have to try to think of the positive things are in that. And, and I finally got into that place real recently. Tamara's family tried to talk her out of pursuing contact or relationships with the new family members, likely out of fear, often of being replaced. Some of the same fears were operating when Tamara set out to find her half-sibling. I had been pressing at my family for a while that I wanted to find them. I wanted to find them, and they're all trying to steer me away from it because they think, what, what if he's not a good person? What if he's a drug addict? What if he, 
wants money or, you know, what if he's just not somebody that we want to associate with, you know, maybe we should think better of this, but see, my family has never understood that part about me, obviously, because I just, I'm not the type that can just accept that and move on because he's my blood. He's my family. I want to know about him. I want to know if he's still alive. I want to know if he knows about me. I want to be able to connect with him and have a relationship with him. He's my family. And so I had a couple of family members who started doing some research for me to try to help me find where he was at. And so we drove, he was living in West Virginia at the time, still there. And we drove to West Virginia one day and just showed up. We just show up at people's doors and just knock on the door, you know, <laughs> It's like, that's how we roll. <laughs> and so we showed up. He wasn't there. He was still at work. And so his mom was living next door to him. And so she told us to come in there. Uh, you know, when he got home, she called for him to come over there. So we went in and sat down and talked with her and told her who we were. And she confirmed that, yes, you know, I adopted him and, all that kind of stuff. And so when he gets there, he walks in and without missing a beat, his mom was like, this is your half sister. <laughs> I don't think he even had a chance to catch his breath. He just kind of stood there and just looked at me like with his mouth open, like, what, what, what did you say, mom? And then she told him again. And so obviously he was in a state of shock and I was getting married in two months invited him to the wedding and all that. He didn't come, but. I can attest to when you meet new relatives, many people want everything to start happening as soon as possible. I was ready to jump on a plane to Tennessee the moment I spoke to my brother. I invited his family to my son's bar mitzvah the same year we met. It just felt natural. It's also completely illogical. It took him about two years. And one day my husband at the time was still at Virginia Tech. He was in college and I was working and he had gotten a letter at our apartment and said, I'll bring this to you. It's, I believe it's from your brother, John. I couldn't believe it. After two years had gone by, he had finally decided to reach out to me and I opened it up. Sure enough, it was him. He said, I know it's taken me a while. He said, but I have been able to finally process everything that you told me about our mom. And he said, I am ready to move forward with having a relationship with you. And that was one of the best days of my life to find that news and see that he was, he was ready. You know, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to get to know our mom's family. And it was wonderful. My mom's mother had recently um, started having some issues with dementia, but she got to meet him and she knew who he was. At the time, you know, back in the 60s when he was born, they sent my mom away to a home to have him. And my grandmother, I believe, had, had, you know, probably at some point regretted that decision. And I think it was a blessing to her to be able to see him and see that he turned out okay and, you know, that it was good. It really was nice that she got to see him before she passed. He's, he, he comes to every family gathering now. We have a get-together at Easter. We have a family reunion at Labor Day. And then we have a gathering 
at my mom's sister's house at Christmas and he's there every time the doors open, he's there. And so it's, it's been a really good thing to have him be a part of the family and have them accept him with open arms. It's been, and that was the part that made me really angry. And they had known basically the whole time that it was true. And I'm like, gosh, why didn't somebody say, um, did you know that your mom was pregnant when she met the man you think's your father? My aunt Gail said, I think that people were trying to protect her and trying to protect you. That's why nobody ever said anything. Tamara learned later that others knew of her mother's first pregnancy, triggering anger that key information about her mother was being kept from her. This reinforced a sense of being an outsider. I always felt like growing up, I didn't fit in to my family. But, you know, there was never anybody that even made a hint that there might be you know, something to that. I'm like, it's just been nice if somebody had said something. I, and I just don't know if I'm struggling for closure, some type of closure, you know, and there just isn't anything. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I got to go to his grave. I've got to meet some of his family and talk with them. But it's just not doing it for me, you know? It's, it's hard when, you know, they've not been through what I've been through and they don't understand why do you feel this way I have days where I just I just want to sit down and cry because I'm like how do I get the closure that I need so I can move forward at this point because I just feel stuck one of the things I wanted to do um, someone on the Facebook group that I was mentioning earlier that was for the area where my dad lived at in Tennessee they had given me the coordinates, the GPS coordinates on Google for the spot that my dad went to fish. And I told my sister that I wanted to go there. And I just, she said, are you sure you want to do that? I said, I know I want to do that because I've always loved the water and the fact that he was a fisherman and did it often. He had a group of buddies that he'd get together with. And they had like a camper type thing and he'd go and they'd spend the night on the lake in the camper and fish and then they'd get up the next day and go home. And so it was just like a weekend thing. He'd go spend Saturday night and they just have fun. And I've always loved the water and the fact that he went to the water a lot for fishing. I said, I think that's really cool. And my sister told me, you know, so we'll, we'll go, I'll take you and you've got the you know, the address for where we need to go. And I think that would be somewhat of a healing process for me if I was to able to go there and be where he spent a lot of time. And that's something that I knew as soon as I was told that that was the thing that he loved to do, that I wanted to go there. Thanks to Tamara for pushing through the pain and sharing her inspirational story. Sex, Lies, and the Truth is written and produced by Jody Klugman-Rab and Christina Bryan Fitzgibbons. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact us through our website at www.sexliesandthetruth.com. If you are a fan of Sex, Lies, and the Truth and want to support us, you can do that through Patreon. 
Patreon is a really cool platform where fans of shows like ours can pledge a small amount each month, even just a few dollars, to support the show. You can find us there at www.patreon.com forward slash sex lies and the truth.